our scripture this morning you will find in the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. The second letter, I will read chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you at the first fruits to be saved uh, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So far, the reading of God's holy word. We now join and sing together hymn 53, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, the four stanzas. Our text for this morning is the verses 6 and 7 of the passage which we read. These words, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. 
Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, when will Christ return? That is, is, a, is a question that is more and more on people's minds today. And to be sure, it is an important question. It is also an awesome question, but it is not at all a new question. Already in the early church, in the days of the Apostle Paul, the question of Christ's return was a question of great importance. The church at Thessalonica, for example, expected Christ to return soon, at any moment then. But Paul put a damper on that expectation. Paul says that isn't so. And people, many people, have wondered about that. They have, see, they have even said that obviously the Bible contradicts itself. Here they say, in his letter to Thessalonians, here Paul says, don't get overly excited, folks, because it isn't that far yet. But elsewhere, the same apostle urged the church, for example, the church at Corinth, not to put too much stock in the things of this world because the present form of this world is passing away. Well, is there a contradiction? No, not really. People who say that there is a contradiction have failed to notice in what connection Paul says what he does. They have not noticed, they have paid no attention to the question, to which church is Paul writing? Ah, you say, but does that make a difference? Does that change the message? Must the gospel be adapted to each particular congregation? No, not really. As a matter of fact, the message preached by Paul in Thessalonica was the same as that which he had preached at Corinth. This, Christ shall soon return. He is coming with great haste. But about the reaction, the response of the congregation to that message had not at all been the same in the two congregations. Though to be sure, both reacted wrongly. See, the church at, at Corinth, as many a church today, ignored the seriousness, the urgency of the message. They continued merrily on their way as though Christ would never ever return, as though the day of the Lord, the great day of reckoning, would never come. Then Paul warns them. He, as it were, shakes them by the collar. Remember, he says to them, remember, Christ is coming again. The appointed time has grown very short. Oh yes, you may use the things of this world, but be sure, be sure to keep things in their proper perspective.
See, that, that was Paul's warning to the church at Corinth. The church of Thessalonica, however, had reacted in an altogether different way. You see, when the members of that congregation heard the message that Christ would return soon, they stopped everything. Why buy or sell? Why marry and have a family? After all, Christ could return at any moment. That Christ himself had on a concrete occasion pronounced that servant blessed whom he would find busy at his God-appointed task when he returned. See, that simply was beyond them. So Paul firmly, but also with tender care, admonishes the Thessalonians. We ask you, ah yes, we beg you, he writes, for they were surely very mistaken. See, the Corinthians saw really no relationship, no connection between the world, this world and the next, between history and the final day, the day of judgment. They put all the emphasis on this world, a world they enjoyed immensely, a world they wanted continue to continue indefinitely. See, therein they were altogether mistaken, wrong. But about the Thessalonians did not see the relationship between this world and the next world correctly either. You see, they simply gave up on this world. They put all the emphasis on the next. No, no. Both of those erroneous reactions, as we know, are with us still today. The liberal churches are, by and large, not at all looking for the return of Christ, while the so-called fundamentalist churches are excessively preoccupied with it. The liberal churches talk about salvation for the here and now, for the fundamentalist churches think primarily of the joy that awaits us. Whereas the liberals stress social involvement, often wrongly motivated, the fundamentalists preach a gospel that typically doesn't touch on or address the basic issues of life in this world. The time is too short to get involved in Christian action, they say. Let us try to save as many souls as we can and be prepared for the imminent return of Christ. Well now, inasmuch as either one of those mindsets prevails, there the danger is great that people church members no longer understand their place and their calling in the world today. I invite you to listen to the word of our God, which speaks out to us about the gospel of Christ and the Antichrist. 
there are three thoughts as follows. The Antichrist concealed, the Antichrist revealed, and the Antichrist destroyed. This morning, we focus on the first thought only, the Antichrist concealed. It goes without saying that Paul wrote this letter to the Church of Jesus Christ at Thessalonica at a definite time in history. And he wrote it to a church that was then confronted with specific problems. The Apostle Paul wrote a practical, a down-to-earth letter, if you will, to that church at that time. Well, now, I said a moment ago that the church of Thessalonica expected Christ to return at any moment. And that church was very much disturbed by that thought. Oh yes, everybody talked about it. A nervous excitement prevailed. The people were uncertain. Yes, they were afraid. They were scared. That much is clear from verse 2, where Paul says, We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Well, what was the reason for their alarm? Why were many people of that church troubled? Paul gives us a bit of a clue. When he says, Thessalonians, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either, either by a spirit or by a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, because there is none such. As you may remember, that was the age of charismatic gifts. So there were then people who had the gift of prophecy. Well, so it happened on a day that somebody stood up and prophesied that Christ would soon return. This person claimed that he had received a special revelation from the Holy Spirit, of course, to that effect. Another, hearing him, said, You know, the man is right. I remember the Apostle Paul saying something about that in a sermon. Then a third person suddenly remembered a letter from Paul, wherein there was, allegedly, some reference to the same thing. And see, that did it. The excitement of the one fired up the, that of another. The story spread like wildfire. There was no stopping it. Soon everything came to a halt. Nobody worked the fields anymore. It made no sense. Why plant fields today if Christ is certainly returning tomorrow? But, ah, but when... Will Christ return? Is it tomorrow? Next year? 
in a thousand years from today? Nobody knows. But he will not come today. Had there been a special revelation from the Holy Spirit, as some claimed, nonsense, says Paul. Had he, Paul, said it in a sermon? Never. Had he mentioned it in a letter? Surely not. Such a letter, if there were such, was surely a fraud, a fake, a counterfeit. And see, the Thessalonians could have known that. How, you ask? Well, because Paul had often spoken about the return of Christ. And whenever he had done so, he had always done it in the context of important events that would surely take place prior to the return of Christ. So it is here. So, so it is we hear Paul now warning them once again. Let no one, let no one deceive you in any way, he says. Don't you let those deceptive scarecrow prophets deceive you in any way, he says. And don't let them keep you from doing your daily work. Because that day, the great day of Christ's return, that day will not come unless... The rebellion comes first, and the lawless one is revealed, who is the son of destruction, the son of perdition, said the RSV. That is, the Antichrist. Oh yes, says Paul, you Thessalonians could have known better than to believe those stories about Christ's imminent return. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Don't you people remember that I then told you about the man of lawlessness who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Congregation, I told you about the Antichrist, says Paul to the church at Thessalonica. And so he says it to us today. Ah, yes, the Antichrist must first be revealed. But, but why then? Has the Antichrist not been revealed yet? What is it that he, the Antichrist, is waiting for? Well, says Paul to the Thessalonians, you know that also. I told you about that too. You know what is restraining him now so that he might, must be or may be revealed 
in his time, says Paul in verse 6. Then in verse 7, he talks about he who now restrains. Oh no, you can't really miss it. There are two things here. Paul talks about a something that is restraining the Antichrist, and he talks about a someone who is restraining him. There is a something and there is a someone who hold the Antichrist back, who slow him down the way a heavy fog slows you down on the highway. You Thessalonians, you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time, says Paul. For, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only, listen carefully, only he who now restrains it, namely that lawlessness, he will do so until he is out of the way. And then, I ask, then the lawless one, that is the Antichrist, will be revealed. You see, the question is, what prevents the Antichrist from being revealed today? Why is he waiting? Or what is it that he is waiting for? Certainly Satan, who knows that his time is short, certainly Satan would love to have the Antichrist come today. So the question could also be put like this. Why? Why doesn't Satan bring the Antichrist, the one who will blaspheme the Lord God in a way never done before, why doesn't Satan bring that man of lawlessness into the world today? Well, says Paul, Satan is not lying back of his own accord. Satan is not being patient because he chooses to be patient. Surely not. Rather, he is forced to wait. He simply cannot as yet let the Antichrist come. A something and a someone are preventing him from doing that. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that there are two things. There is a restraining power at work, and there is a person who holds the Antichrist back. But what is that power, and who is that person? You know that, says Paul to the Thessalonians. But uh, but the commentators have been stumped by the problem ever since the day of Paul. And many have come to the conclusion that we will never know the answer. So you see, that is the question that requires an answer. Can we know? 
Well, I, I think we can. After all, the Apostle Paul is not talking about an isolated bit of information here. Rather, Paul is talking about something he had discussed before in his sermons. In other words, Paul is not referring to something here that had been of a special importance only to and for the Thessalonians. Rather, he's referring to something that was and is of essential importance to the faith of the church of all ages. And see, if that is indeed true, why then we will not have to guess at what it is the apostle is talking about. Then, even though we have not heard the sermons Paul preached in Thessalonica, then we can know from the scriptures what it is he is talking about. Think for a moment of Jesus' word about the signs of the end time. You will recall that he then spoke of wars and famines and earthquakes. But that's not all. That's not the only thing he said about that. See, Jesus then also said, and the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed to all nations. And in the book of Revelation, you read about the beast, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, that is, from the abyss. We are then told that he, the beast, cannot rise from the abyss until after the two witnesses have finished their testimony. Right there, you see, lies the key to the answer for our problem. Think of it. Total, complete lawlessness is kept in check, is reigned in by God, the Lord God Almighty, until the gospel of the kingdom has completed its course. You understand? See, the Lord does that. He reigns in the Antichrist by means of the preaching of the gospel. Remember well, it is the preaching of the gospel and not the power of well-ordered human rule. It is the preaching of the gospel that holds the Antichrist in check. It is the preaching of the gospel that prevents him from appearing. It is the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom that is the something that holds the Antichrist in check. And the someone who holds him back, the person who restrains him, is not an earthly ruler, be he a Caesar or a prime minister or a president. See, the person who restrains the Antichrist is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, no, 
That power and that person restrained the Antichrist then in Paul's day, and they do so still today. Oh yes, the mystery, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It was already in Paul's day. It says that very clearly, and we can see it in every we can see it everywhere today. Not simply in that the law is transgressed with reckless abandon, but in that the law of the Lord is outrightly rejected. It is despised. Lawlessness, you see, is not simply that a person stumbles or has shortcomings or transgresses. Oh, to be sure, all such things are sin, to be sure. But, but someone who stumbles may still recognize that he did wrong. He may well recognize that there is a norm to be observed. And a person who confesses that he has shortcomings, that he has failings, recognizes that there is a law which demands obedience. And a person who acknowledges transgressions recognizes that there is a line, a boundary, which he crossed. But lawlessness is the complete rejection of law. The lawless one, the man of lawlessness, says, I will do as I please. I do not recognize a God, and I will not bow before a norm, and I do not honor a law. I despise and I reject everything held sacred. When you then pay attention to the media today, not only to what is reported, but especially to how it is reported, then you know how very pervasive that spirit is today. Well now, Paul had seen something of that already in his day as he traveled from city to city. As he had seen that all sin tended in that direction. You see, the tendency to lawlessness was and is present everywhere. The satanic spirit of brutality, of total insensitivity and indifference to the needs of others, that spirit was there then already. Yes, it could be observed, though it was not as yet allowed free reign then. It was still more or less concealed then. You understand? See, Satan, Satan was still forced to present himself as an angel of light then. He could not as yet show himself as the demon he really is then. Because, you see, there was still a restraining power at work then. That restraining power, namely the preaching of the gospel, was holding everyone back, 
was preventing the free reign of lawlessness, was keeping Satan, Satan's deceit in check. Moreover, Christ himself stood and stands in the way of Satan. He it is who holds back the lawless one. Before the Antichrist can come, Christ himself must move aside. Then you see it. Lawlessness was then and is today already stirring and brewing as it were undercover. But absolute lawlessness must wait for its season. The lawless one, says Paul, yes, the lawless one must wait for his appointed time because the right of way was given to the gospel, to the gospel being proclaimed to all nations. Yes, the gospel must reach the ends of the earth. Once you see that, you see also what is our comfort and our calling, our task, our responsibility today. See, still today, Christ is restraining the Antichrist. Still today, the gospel may be preached. Still today, the Lord in his grace is giving us the time and the responsibility to give concrete expression to the meaning of the gospel of Jesus Christ for all of life. I see already there is turmoil all around. Not only are there wars, there is also revolution and rebellion. There are riots, and there's a lot of talk about law and lawlessness that is rooted in the spirit of lawlessness. But the remarkable, I guess the utterly amazing fact is that still today there is the desire to give to a lot of normlessness, to lawlessness, the appearance of righteousness. Think, for example, of the various movements that want legislation on the books that will legalize what will ultimately lead to utter lawlessness. Think only of the LGBT lifestyle and the laws its promoters are advocating today. I ask that the fires of the law, the revolutionists, talk about better laws, more just, more humane laws. But the fact is they defiantly exhibit the spirit of lawlessness, which they try to cover up with the talk about the law. Then you see it. The Antichrist is still concealed. He still works undercover. 
lawlessness is not yet advocated for the sake of lawlessness. And therein we may rejoice. And for that we may give thanks. For that means that Christ is still standing in Antichrist's way. He is still forcing the Antichrist to conceal himself. As sure you know, many today mock the church. They scorn and they ridicule the preaching of the word. But, but they cannot completely ignore it. Not yet. They must wait. Wait until Christ has finished his work. For it is Christ, the church, the word proclaimed. It is Christ who directs the history of the world and not the rulers of this world or the rebels. Christ directs the affairs of this world in and through the wrestling of the spirits. Ah, yes, in and through the turbulence of the times. See, the sun of destruction will surely come. But, but he cannot appear until the message of salvation has been declared to every nation. Oh yes, the powers of hell will come in motion. But not until until the powers of heaven have finished their work. The lawlessness, the lawless one will be revealed, but not until the law has been proclaimed. And see, that gives us perspective. Now we know that it is by the grace of God and not by that of any politician or political party. It is by the grace of God that the word may still be preached and lived. Now we know that the devil is not in control of affairs, but God, who would have all people come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, the Lord God rules over all. That, that is the meaning of our day, of this day. Now we know again what it means that God in Christ is governing and directing all things. And remember, he's giving us the room today to press the claims of Christ upon all of life, to call us from darkness to light. See, he is still today giving the church, the body of believers, the time to act in the name of Christ, to show concretely what redemption in Christ means for every area of life. See, there, our mission, our task. Now we understand that the good news to us today is that Christ, for the sake of the gospel, continues to hold back the Antichrist. Behold, this is the day of grace. This is 
the day of salvation. Let us not harden our hearts as they did of old. Let us faithfully, obediently do the word today. That is blessedness. That is joy. Praise the Lord. Amen.